Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg of the Remnant Podcast, uh, brought to you by The Dispatch. Go to thedispatch.com to sign up for all our newsletters and other wares. Um, Swag is coming one day soon. Um, Today's episode is sponsored by two of our favorite sponsors, DoorDash and the Online Trading Academy. Um, We'll hear more about them later. But first, I should ask Chris. Chris Starwalt is here from Fox News. Chris, great to have you. Good to be with you. Um, you are uh, – I can always get, never get this right. The I'm the politics editor for the Fox News Channel. That's, that, it used to be more complicated. Used it be, used to be more, but then now I, as, as I have advanced, the, the good thing about t- – you can tell with titles, generally they, the shorter they are, the better they are. Yeah. Michael Kinsley actually wrote a great column about that, about in government, the, the shorter your title in government – the more responsibility you right, had. Right? Exactly. President is really short. It's really, it's, re- it's really concise. <laughs> um, rather than the assistant deputy secretary for agricultural subcommittees exactly. or whatever it is. Senior executive. <laughs> yes. Um, no, but I was going to ask you, what do you think of this shirt? Nice shirt? Uh, yeah, it looks both, uh, it's, it's ruggedly masculine, but looks comfortable. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it comes from our friends at Untuck It, but they're not sponsoring this week's episode, so I'm going to just leave it there. And I, I wonder about, and I know they're not paying for this, but mm-hmm. I listen as I, as I am a most devoted remnant listener, uh, as, a, as a non-small American, uh-huh. do you find that Untuck It is, is kind to you? Does it, do you, do you feel okay in their shirts? Are they meant for tiny people? As I have said, I, I'm sure they have wonderful shirts for tiny people. Right. But as I have said many times on this, I, I was always sort of hostile to it because I didn't like the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I find that I wear them much more often than I ever thought I would. Huh. And I find them very useful to do. So that's a free promotion. You can still use our promo code <laughs> DINGO at Untuck It. Um, I'm sure it's still valid. So um, full disclosure, I was originally going to get a brilliant wonderkin new uh, political theorist guy to come on this podcast to talk about all sorts of deeply esoteric things, a guy named uh, Daniel Burns from the University of Dallas, but he couldn't make it. And so I said, who is the best substitute I can get at the last minute to fill his august wonky shoes? And the only name that came to mind was was one Christopher Steyerwald. I am like the salami that you keep in the fridge that you don't cut until you know that you're going to need it. And then one evening you're like, you know what we can do? We can just cut. We can we can cut that salami. That's right. That's uh, right. It's, uh, well, the, the, you, you, you are admirably self-deprecating about this. But in in reality – as you start doing this kind of stuff, it's very much like TV. Right. If you can be the kind of person that you can count on at the last minute to be talk intelligently about something, that's actually a great niche to have. One, once, and I won't say who, uh, obviously, but once a person said was complaining bitterly about the fact that they had not been offered a contributorship at Fox News. And I took this person into our green room and I, I waved my arm around the room. I said, do you see these people? And the person said yes. And I said, they're all here for free. <laughs> they all came over this morning and they're all ready to talk about the various things right. because they want to be on our air. The, being available and being ready in, in television, in media, being ready to go and do it is about 80 percent of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't. So many producers have been so unbelievably grateful when I've been in the not to toot my own horn, but like when toot. I, well, no, but I'm in the studio and we're about to talk about something I actually prepared to talk about. And then there's breaking news about something else. And they say, hey, can you talk about this instead? If you can actually talk about that instead, you are a lifesaver for a panicked producer somewhere. One of the problems that we're confronting in journalism is we don't have enough generalists 
because we don't have there's the I love the old New Yorker cartoon where all the reporters are standing around the newsroom. There's a dartboard and it says foreign affairs, energy prices, arms control has all of these things and got a dart. And the guy says, what should I be an expert on today? <laughs> but by dint of coming up, I'm, I'm a big supporter. I believe local news is our biggest problem that we have in America today. If you care about the American experiment working, you want people to care more about what's closer to them than what's far away. And good local news coverage is crucially important. We can do a lot of stuff on the national level, but the hardest work gets done locally. But the other thing that happens is you grow up, as I did, covering the police department, covering the courts, covering the county government, covering the state house, learning about all these things along the way so that when you end up in Washington or New York, you have a little fluency about this other stuff. Yeah. And that's really – that's a helpful thing and it's something that over-specialization in our era is not really good for. Yeah. No, it's also – I mean, again, we're going to get to the, the, the rank punditry in a second. But, oh, um, rank. I've had this conversation over the years with colleagues of mine like Rich Lowry and Ramesh Panuru and Byron York and – when we were starting out, there were all sorts of other people our age doing the same thing. And just over time, they kind of burn themselves out with the grind of it. And right. a, the, one of the biggest things in the syndicated column business and all these kinds of things is just being able to have the stick to to do it in, do it day in and day out while maintaining your interest in the subject matter, which can be difficult, you know. There is a story, and it's, I'm sure, apocryphal, or as we would say, too good to check, about the great Teddy White uh, political correspondent at the New York Times, cornered by journalism students. He say, Mr. White, do you ever have a piece that doesn't turn out exactly the way that you want it? Yes. Well, what do you do? He said, I publish it because <laughs> we're going to have another newspaper tomorrow. Right. No, exactly. And it's like the famous line from Fred Barnes when he was asked, which I've used for so long now, um, when he was asked about a piece that he wrote that was on deadline, and he said, he was asked something along the lines of, what did you think of it? Did it turn out okay? And he says, yeah, it was great. It had the distinct quality of doneness. (laughs) 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 And just getting it done and moving on to the next day, being able to let stuff go is hard for a lot of people. It takes practice. And not not everyone has the slovenly attitude necessary. The, the, the thing that is great about journalism and that I love so much about it is that we're not pretending at perfection, right? right. This is, this is the, the – we're not going to let the perfect get in the way of the good. You're going to do the best job you can today and we're going to do it again tomorrow. Right. And I, the work of writing a book was so much harder for me than writing a note daily or doing a podcast. It was so much harder for me because it was like, well, this will just be around, won't it? Right, right. And I can't say like, oh, I know that fact was wrong because I was in a hurry and we'll fix it tomorrow. That was a very different and hard experience for me. Yeah, no, the thing about writing books, people ask me because I've written three now and um, – they say, oh, you know, you must love writing books. I, no, I I love having written books. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, one of the most depressing things about – one of the more depressing differences between journalism, group journalism, like at a TV network or even a newspaper or a magazine, is that you come down the next day to look at what you wrote yesterday and no one has improved it. Right. It's exactly as you left it. Yep. It's entirely up to you and no one is going to say – Oh, did you have a deadline that day when you wrote this stupid paragraph? Exactly. No, they're like you're supposed to write it until you think it's worth publishing, and if you, if and, and if you don't have the facts and stuff or the arguments and stuff that you need to make your case, you must get them because no one, no gremlins come in. And I was do going it to say you. we need book gnomes. We need to we need to invest in book gnomes that come in in the in the early morning hours and just write through things. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> Keebler elves. Okay, so on to the rank punditry. 
last night, there were elections in Virginia, Kentucky, and Mississippi. As well as Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Uh, and I think a couple of other places that had local kind of elections. Um, but, you know, we we live in a world where we're stuck in we're breathing the recycled air of polling. Uh, and next week we have a uh, election in Louisiana, gubernatorial election in Louisiana. Their runoff. Um, we finally get to see how these the subjects are responding to the stimuli uh, right. in a, in a real experiment. And it's easy to overinterpret these things. There is this and and uh, partisan hackery being what it is. People are prone to. And I don't want to be mean about it, but you're you're going to see what you want to see. You can certainly – if you're a Republican, if you were writing a column today and you were a hack, you could certainly – if you're a Republican, you could write a column today that would say, here's five reasons why this is proof that Donald Trump will get reelected. And if you're a Democratic hack, you could write a column that said, here's five reasons why the Democrats are definitely going to win. I think your takeaway though, I think your top-level takeaway is a couple of things. Uh, Matt Bevin is horrible at politics. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is really bad and really unpopular in Kentucky. He underperformed his fellow Republicans. The governor of Kentucky for – Yep. He underperformed his fellow Republicans in Kentucky by as many as 12 points. That's bad, right? That's real bad. (laughs) Uh, Donald Trump was a big help to Matt Bevin in Kentucky. Uh, Matt Bevin's closing argument was, hey, I stink, but if you vote for the Democrat, Donald Trump will be removed from office basically, was that you you will feed the impeachment. Interest, which, which has very little connection with fact, right? Because governors do not, in fact, vote on impeachment. They do not. But <laughs> Donald Trump bought the argument that mm-hmm. Bevin was making, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm going to go to Kentucky. And he told the voters in Kentucky, if you don't – if he doesn't win, they're going to say that I'm weak and that I'm going to get impeached. So you've got to come and vote for this guy. So it, it's a tough one. You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. If Trump hadn't gone to help Bevin, if he had done what, say, Obama did with Martha Coakley mm-hmm. running against Scott Brown in 2010 and just let her dangle. Right. If he had turned his back on Bevin, he would be blamed for not helping his party. Right. But he goes and helps Bevin and he does – you know, Bevin was uh, trailing – or it was a single-digit lead for Bashir, the attorney general and son of the uh, Bevin's predecessor. So he's – let's say for the sake of argument, Bevin's down five points and he ended up losing by 5,000 votes. Right. The half a percentage. So – you know, look, or at least that's the the first count, the 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 rough count from election night. So Trump did help him, and the argument did help. But also, Trump, in doing it the way he did, satisfies what Democrats wanted, which exactly. was yeah. you said if he lost, right, then it would be bad. The but I don't care about Kentucky. I I do care about, as a West Virginian. I care deeply about Kentucky and beating you at basketball eventually, but. What I really cared about was how were suburban voters right. conducting themselves. And s- suburban voters in these elections were acting like they were in 2018. Which is not good news for Trump. Which is not good news for Republicans. So in 2018, uh, so we're looking so places where you want to look. DeSoto County in northern Mississippi, which is Memphis suburbs. Uh, Republicans uh, underperformed by like 40 points. Uh when you look at Virginia, you look at the places in Virginia where the Republicans lost. Northern Virginia now has no right. Republican, no Republicans really uh, representing it in Richmond, uh, the Richmond suburbs, uh, suburban precincts down in the Tidewater. All went the other way. The Democrats have total control of Virginia for the first time since 1993. P- perhaps most significantly, though, 
I look at Pennsylvania. And when we go to Pennsylvania, we look at what used to be, along with, shout out to Jack Butler, uh, Hamilton County, Ohio, the places in the United States that were the rock ribs of the Republican Party. Uh, when you look at Bucks County, uh, when you look at Chester County, you look at suburban and Collar County, Philadelphia, these were places that were really the bulwark of the Republican Party once upon a time. The Republicans are totally out. There are not the, – they were the, – the final Republicans were driven off of the county commissions and in senior leadership positions in these large important counties. You don't hear the Republicans talking very much these days about Pennsylvania for 2020, and I think that's with good reason. I think Pennsylvania – now, look, if, if the Democrats pick Warren, things get very different. Right. Fracking ban is a bad idea if someone wants to win Pennsylvania. Completely moronic. And also for those same votes, it, it would be like – it would be like Superman nominating crypt- kryptonite if the Democrats are like, what, is, what, what should we do? We're doing really well with these affluent college-educated suburbanites. What should we do? Elizabeth Warren is, is the worst candidate for those folks. And she doesn't particularly help them with their other problem from 2016, which is enthusiasm among minority voters, right. which Hillary Clinton was a wet blanket on. Uh, and so how do, you, how do you win in those states? In Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, you win by activating an urban core and you win by taking the edge in the suburbs. Joe Biden can do that. Yeah. She can't do that. Yeah. For now, at least. That's the way it seems. I I agree with you. I'm just saying lots of strange things happen. But I agree with you. I think Warren is a really (laughs) silly choice for the Democrats. And she's bad at politics. Look – American, as, as 2016 taught us, we have millions of Americans who voted for both Barack Obama and Donald Trump. Americans, persuadable voters are, are by nature not ideological. If you view politics through an ideological lens, you're probably not persuadable or you have to go to a very extreme level right. of per, – you have to go to a Roy, Roy Morian level right. of barred from the sparrow to be – to get – people who are ideological voters to say, no, you are too – you are anathema to me. For the people who are persuadable, for the 25 or 30 percent of Americans who are on that continuum, they are by nature less ideological. So they will vote for Barack Obama, the most liberal senator, but they'll also vote for Donald Build the Wall Trump right. because they're voting on personality and they're voting on the sense that they have about whether this person – most important question is always, do you think that this person cares about people like you? And that's where Hillary Clinton fell short to Donald Trump. I think Warren's the, – the, the core problem with Warren, she's just bad at politics. Mm-hmm. Her rollout of Indian heritage, her, her Native American DNA test was an epic cell phone. Right. It just ill-conceived and poorly executed. And then she did basically the same thing on her health care plan. Yeah. So if I was a Democrat, I would be, yes, concerned that her positions are too radical. But I would be more concerned that she has a 10-year. Yeah, I'd also be really pissed, and I'm surprised I didn't get more coverage, that when she unveiled that monstrosity, it was in the middle of a very bad news cycle for Donald Trump. Why she couldn't wait for a a lull, if she was going to release this terrible thing, why do it when it's going to be (coughs) a gift from heaven to Republicans to say, oh, yeah, I know this looks weird with the impeachment stuff and the quid pro quo, but... Let me remind you of this Medusa's head. Right, exactly. <laughs> it was a very weird thing. And in this example, which uh, thing we'll get to about, which I, I know that you think I'm stealing your lines about <laughs> the weakness of parties. Word, word got back to me. But a healthy Democratic Party would have told her, 
first of all, you're not releasing this plan at all. But second right. of all, if you are going to release, if we can't stop you from releasing it, you're not going to do it during this news cycle. But neither of those things. Well, and, and and take it one step further with Warren. There was an open question: Will the impeachment process around Donald Trump be good for Joe Biden or bad for Joe Biden? And at the outset. My instinct was that it would be bad for Biden because it reinforced, you know, the sleazy, swampy conduct of his son mm-hmm. trading on his father's name and doing it at an icky moment. He didn't uh, – Hunter Biden didn't even wait a decorous period of time before going and scooping up the dough. Right. He dove right in the middle of the, of the, of the swamp. I thought this really reinforces a lot of negatives about Biden and Warren, who's running as an anti-corruption candidate and, right. a, and a clean it, clean it up outsider. This could be really bad for Biden. Not only could Warren not execute on raising principled, reasonable complaints about a guy who's been in Washington uh, since he was knee high to a pork barrel, but she also then kicks her own tail by coming out with this plan Right at the moment. So there was a moment six weeks ago in our average of polling that Warren got to within like a point and a half. She was so close. Mm -hmm. It was maybe five weeks ago. So close. Biden has regained all of his lead. Yeah. She has gone only – she is headed straight south and Biden has regained all of his lead and he's back up to a lead. I think in the halftime report today, I think it's like seven or eight points. So uh, returning to auto-tune – uh, I'm sorry, auto, auto horn tooting. I uh, you should always auto tune your auto horn, though. That's <laughs> that's important. Which should not be confused with the gimmick that made Ron Jeremy famous. But uh, I, I didn't know what was going to happen to make me uncomfortable here today. <laughs> I wouldn't. I I did not have my money on that. That was very impressive. But I wrote um, when this thing first broke. I wrote my column for LA Times saying that. This could, I wasn't guaranteeing it, but it could work out well for Biden because I think I, I think negative polarization or negative partisanship is such a powerful thing, yep. right? It's and, and the only politician who's really, really figured it out other than Donald Trump is uh, AOC. She definitely has. Where she understands that if if the other side hates you, your own side will like you more. Right. And... It's the it's and it's also the first the, the first fairly current example we had of it was uh, Sarah Palin, right? Where Republicans were like, I don't know what to think of this person. She seems strange, right? And then it was like, well, if the New York Times hates her that much, right? Exactly. Right. There's got to be something good going on here. My favorite in that was when uh, University of Chicago th- theologian and feminist wrote an op-ed saying that I think for Newsweek saying that perhaps Sarah Palin's greatest hypocrisy is her pretense that she is a woman. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, if she can elicit that kind of response, I mean, like, whatever criticisms you have of Sarah Palin, she's like a mother of X number of children. Right. And she, she gets like results. Yeah, yeah, she gets results. <laughs> um, and um, anyway, so, but my point was, was that if the central indictment of Trump politically these days, or even back, you know, a couple weeks ago, a month ago, is, and the driver of the impeachment thing is now the Ukraine story, that makes it harder for Democrats to yep. criticize Biden because, on that stuff, because it is lending aid and comfort to the enemy. Yep. And so all of a sudden, Kamala Harris started saying, leave Joe Biden alone. Cory Booker said he's a statesman and a patriot and blah, 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 blah. And the smart play would have been 
You know, it's like Bernie Sanders made the same mistake in 2016 when enough about a damn emails. Exactly. He yep. gave away that issue totally. when he should have used it. And, um, and so should she, because there were two weeks with the crescendo of the Hunter Biden's bizarro world interview uh, with ABC. Yeah. I did nothing wrong, but I swear to God, I will never do it again. Yeah. I will never again do the completely right and appropriate thing that I did. There was a moment where it could have gone either way. Yeah. And a good politician, <coughs> excuse me, a good politician would have found what Bill Clinton right would have found that fleshy spot between a couple of ribs on Joe Biden yeah and stuck it in just yeah. as if watching Pete Buttigieg gets it yeah 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 and watching him deal with Warren and the way that he has snickety snick cut at her and found ways to hit her without being overbroad right. without being ham-fisted and without getting a bunch of blowback for himself a good politician would have seen Joe Biden in that moment of weakness and found a way to put the knife in yeah um so because it's funny i mean we should also just be clear Biden has not done wonders at exploiting this either, though. He has been kind of, I mean, uh, he kind of is Sleepy Joe on all this stuff. Well, but, if, but you know, the, the best news for Biden in a lot of ways, the impeachment, the subject of the impeachment is unfortunate for Joe Biden, period. However, it is also true that the impeachment is great news for Joe Biden because to a certain degree it freezes the democratic process. Right. There is so much energy and so much attention on impeachment. And instead of you and me and Jonathan Martin and the uh, – from A to Z, uh, every reporter in the world out covering what's going on with the Democrats in 2020, they're covering impeachment. You have to talk about yeah. impeachment. There's this world historic event that is taking place in the United States. Will the th a third ever – third of 45 U.S. presidents be impeached? And it's, it is necessarily a big deal. That means that Democrats are not paying as much attention to their own race as they would have. And they're not paying attention, by the way, at a crucial moment. Right. And the less Democrat, the less attention Democrats pay to their own contest, the better it is for Joe Biden. Right. No, I think because he is like, I guess I would say he is the uh, subway sandwich of the Democratic field where if you can't get a coalition together at your office for what to get, somehow subway will just uh, – bags of sandwiches will just turn up. Yeah, which is very – I remember making the case about Mitt Romney being vanilla yeah. in, in 2012 and I wasn't talking about his personality or anything like that. Um, or his preferences. Uh, right. <laughs> I was just making the point that um, – Or um, dressage, you know, you know. You don't know. Vanilla is the most popular ice cream in America. But it's very few people's first choice. Exactly. But it's the, it's, it's the thing that everyone can agree on. That's why at weddings you serve vanilla ice cream or whatever. Right. Because if you serve, you know, my favorite flavor, coffee ice cream, 20% of the room will love it. But – 25% of the room will hate it, you right. know, but everyone, everyone can live with vanilla. And if Joe Biden is one thing, I mean, he's, he's quirky vanilla, but he's vanilla. Yeah. He's like the vanilla with the vanilla bean uh, yeah. flex in it. It's, yeah. it's like one, it's one uh, order of magnitude off from, from the straightest kind. But the great thing that Biden has going for him, and this is why he's been like a cork on the ocean. He goes down. You're like, oh, this is it. I have, I have spent. I have, I tell anchors and I tell people who interview me for radio and all this stuff every week. I, I there's this routine. Monday you walk in, big trouble for Joe Biden. Yeah, hits it, and it's like, well, he's led every week since right. he's been in. Right. And you know, it might be 
condign punishment for the press corps to have a boring 2020. So we overlearned all the lessons of 2016. I, as a resident, uh, as a as a somebody who grew up a, a native of the Rust Belt, who grew up in the heart of Trump country in Ohio County, West Virginia. My father was a coal salesman. Like I got it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, people were poor and taking drugs uh, in Appalachia before 2016. Right. Uh, the overlearned lessons of 2016 are many, but. I, a big one is the biggest one in many ways is anything can happen. Right. Any anything could happen. It's like well, not anything. Right. Not anything could happen. There's a range of things we need to think a little more broadly, but that doesn't include um, Marianne Williamson becoming president. Right. 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 Uh, because Americans elected the host of the Celebrity Apprentice. As president of the United States, that does not then follow that things get crazier after that. It may, in fact, follow that things become more boring after that because people feel an urge towards normalcy. Mm-hmm. So it might be condign punishment for the press to have the popular, elderly, former vice president run pen to post in the Democratic nomination, uh, win the whole thing, and then to go on and have a very conventional 2020 general election. That was the lesson of 1920. Yep. Right? Though, so- though to be fair— Warren G. Harding had much better hair. That was great. That was great hair. He had great hair, and um, he did turn a bit of a blind eye to the swamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the, the the dancing girl who died at uh, the party, Ohio. This is how Ohio rolls when they get to Washington, Jack Butler. Uh, they uh, The dancing girl who broke her leg, got a blood infection, and then they had to cover up her death that is that's the that's as swampy I think as you can get. Yeah, no, that's um that's good stuff. I mean, it's no Mary Joe Kopechny. Um, <laughs> so, um, but now on your point about subway sandwiches being satisfying for everybody, there is another solution to that, which is ably provided by DoorDash. Um, crushing it at work, laser focused on beating that boss level. That doesn't mean you shouldn't eat. DoorDash can help you get your next meal from your favorite restaurants. In minutes, DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. You can get the Marianne Williamson of meals, or you can get the Mitt Romney meals. It's all up to you. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities. So you might find a new favorite, too. With DoorDash door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code REMNANT. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code Remnant. Don't forget, that's promo code Remnant for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. So um, I do want to get to impeachment, which you said everybody has to talk about. But I do, but before you do, speaking of uh, culinary intake, yes, I welcome you to the fraternity of Fresca lovers. It is – was Fresca a big thing in, in West Virginia? Fresca is um, – it's a part of – You always of, struck me as more of a Mr. Pibb guy. Uh, no. Fresca is part of my ethnic uh, cuisine. Uh-huh. Uh, would be up there with uh, Ritz crackers, uh-huh. uh, Miracle Whip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fresca is a thing that I thought every 
everybody drank, but as it turned out, it is uh, it maybe the whitest thing in the history of being white. Uh, and I didn't, and I guess that's why Judge Smales, uh is is seen offering Fresca to Danny Noonan. In yes. I didn't realize the cultural resonance of it at the time. I thought my family was normal. <laughs> um, so, um, but before we get to impeachment, uh, question about this door, um, the DoorDash. Question about this. Um, it's delicious. That's the answer. Um, I've been arguing for a long time that this notion that the base, the quote unquote base of the GOP are the mostly rural, non-college educated working class voters that have rallied to Trump. That is a kind of a new thing in American politics. The old base of the GOP were, in fact, closer to these Republican suburbanites, or at least they were the majority makers like Republican Party without the suburbs was going to be a rump party forever. No, that's that from Dwight Eisenhower forward, the base of the Republican Party were suburbanites. Yeah. And we now we, we the way that we score for the suburbs are changing dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um the suburbs are getting poorer. There are real concentrations of poverty. Uh cities are changing. Right. Uh we both live in Washington DC. People no longer want to commute 45 minutes uh, so that they can have a half-acre lot. People are are recolonizing cities. It's amazing. Once you deal with crime, yep, people go back into cities. And they love it because yeah. you can walk and go pick up a, you know, a pound of butter and, yeah. and be home and life is good. Um, the, the truth of it is the voters who repu- – a guy said to me the other day, and we were talking about Jeb Bush, and the guy referred to him as part of the Republican establishment. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, now, I hear you, but you don't really mean establishment because he's nobody, right? right? He's hustling side gigs uh, in Miami. He or anyone like him has their hands on no levers of power anywhere in America. Right. The Republican, quote unquote, establishment now, Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump sit atop uh, a Republican Party that doesn't look anything like the moderate, more moderate, suburban country club Republicans that did constitute the base of the party for most of the 20th century. Right. And it's not surprising to me that as the parties change lanes and the Republicans take the old, the core of the old New Deal and Great Society coalition, which are economically downscale white voters in the interior of the United States – as they take those voters on, it's not surprising that the priorities of the party are shifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so it didn't have to be this way. Mm-mm. And, you know, this is an argument I get into with a lot of uh, very pro-Trump people is that you could do a lot of the things <coughs> that Trump has done. And if you just pulled him in 20 or 30 percent, there were no tweeting. Right. Right. That, no tweeting would have probably kept 10% of the suburbanite column still in his column. Right. But the 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 drama, particularly with, with college-educated women, white women, oh, is, man. it just chases them all away, right? Um, and what is your – because one of the most interesting political stories of the last – really the last 18 months is that this, this transition, which, you know, has a long – prehistory and didn't start with Trump, but it was it's wildly accelerated with Trump. There are now v- the 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 differences between suburbs in say Texas right. and suburbs in Ohio and suburbs in Connecticut 
right. is shrinking before our eyes, and that's new. Right. You talk to people. I was just recently in Texas, and you, you, you talk to people there, and they used to laugh at the idea of Texas going blue. But these last round of you know elections that they had, where they see all of these once stalwart red suburbanite counties that are much, particularly you know like places around Houston used to have a lot more self-identified absolutely evangelicals. They're still they're they're abandoning the GOP too. Yep. Do you think that's recoverable? Um, I think there is no rewind button. Um, I think you are uh, we're always making things new. For Republicans who think about how do we go back to the way it was, I understand why that was a more pleasant governing coalition for Republicans as it represented a balance between um, social conservatives, fiscal conservatives, and the, three, the, the three-legged stool of Ronald Reagan. I, I understand why that was, from a governing a perspective of governance, why that is more appealing. I think the reality for Republicans is if they allow college-educated, affluent voters to completely leave them. This, of course, will depend on what the Democrats do as well. Um, The Democrats are really wrestling with the question of can we be hospitable to these voters? Is it within us? Uh, If you look at the tension between Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, there it is, right? Right. Here's a woman who's saying, look, guys – You've got to be cool so that we can let these suburban voters hang here. We need a big enough tent that allows both social justice warrior from the Bronx, but also Abigail Spanberger, former CIA operative from suburban Richmond. We've got to have space for both of you in this party because if we don't, we don't have a majority. So it would be hard for Democrats to accept these voters. But if Republicans, through both the the disdain that – uh, more affluent voters have for Trump personally, but also with the issue set that keeps coming forward. You want a perfect storm of a, of a two-week period. You take the Syria debacle and you marry it up with impeachment and you have just laid out for somebody who is a persuadable, a, a persuadable but Republican-leaning voter in the woodlands outside of Dallas or someplace like that. They're like, give me a break. I can't I can't hang here. I can't, I can't live here with you anymore. The – the electorate looks about like this. You've got 39% of people who think of themselves as Democrats. You've got 31% of people who think of themselves as Republicans to some degree, right? right? To whether I'm a hard Republican or a hard Democrat or I'm light or whatever, but on some spectrum where they say, yeah, that's who I am. And then you've got 11%, 12% who are really just independent. Mm-hmm. How do you compete for those votes? And what Republicans fail to understand and I think this is their biggest challenge. There are always fewer Republicans than there are Democrats. Right. In order to win elections, Republicans have to persuade more people than Democrats do. Right. Um, Hillary Clinton did a lot of that persuading work for Republicans in 2016. Uh, that's for sure. But Republicans have to do more in order to persuade these voters. Whether or not they can do it in time to not – we're going to know so much out of 2020. We're going to mm-hmm. know so much more about what – generational damage Trump may have done with younger voters. We're going to know uh, so much more about how do Hispanic voters really end up on this. But most of all, we're going to know, is the traditional base of the Republican Party salvageable for the GOP? Yeah. So um, as longtime listeners know, I have my relationship to the GOP, qua GOP, is 
more analytical than it's ever been. I've, yeah. I'm not hugely emotionally invested in it the way I may have been to one extent or another in the past. But I am still deeply emotionally and intellectually invested in conservatism. And so, you know, I was at this Texas A&M event uh, on Monday, and this kid asks me this stem winder of a question about <coughs> the ivory tower I'm in and how I can... To be to be clear, we are in a basement. I just want to point Fair out. Fair enough. That's right. But in a pretty ivory tower ivory building. Basement. Yes, yeah. that's right. And, um, and his basic question boiled down to how can you take this position... When it's a binary choice and the other side is for socialism and killing the unborn. And I, as a conservative first and Republican at most by default, I get the question. Underlying part of it, and I don't need to go off on a big stem winder, but this is that I should therefore, if I agree with his analysis, which I don't, I should therefore behave like a party hack and say things I don't believe to be true for the greater good of the party, which right. I'm not going to do. But, you know, look, Virginia, which was trending purplish and now just basically flipped blue for the time right. being at least, they are now going to pass a whole bunch of abortion laws. Yep. And abortion law, for the most part, is still written at the state level. And if you're a conservative or a pro-lifer who cares primarily about, say, just say for the sake of argument, that that is your main issue, the fact that Trump scared the bejeebus out of all these suburban voters to the extent that the state flipped to the other side. How is that an enormous victory? How is Trump an enormous victory for the cause of life if in the if 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 your time horizon is longer than the next election, if he's repelling more voters than he's attracting? You know, I one of the things that I uh admire and appreciate uh, most about you is your uh, hatred for monocausality. Yes. Um, and I share it. Uh, but my uh, hobby horse is a cousin of monocausality, uh, which is determinalism. Uh -huh. This is going to happen necessarily as a consequence of this. And people heads nod and everybody, yes, it is just this will this will naturally flow from this. And the truth is a couple of things. You don't know what it's going to feel like when you get there. Right. Very, there are things in life where I'm sure you experienced where like, oh, once I get X, Y, Z, I'll finally be happy. Right. And then you get there and you're like, I actually don't like this. Right. Uh, and then there are things where you say, oh, I dread this. And then you go, oh, it's actually not that bad. So we don't know what it's going to feel like till we get there, number one. And number two, to the monocausality part of it, there are a million things that feed into these future outcomes. Telling voters, right, and or telling you – you must speak and talk in this one particular way so as to prevent this the following outcome. We have no idea. We have no right. idea. And anybody who tells you that they know what American politics is going to look like in 20 years can just – you know they can go pound sand. Right. Because I will guarantee you that – well, I, I love <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I love I – I went back and read the papers for the week – after Bush won re-election in 2004. And let me tell you, man, it was sweet, sweet candy. <laughs> um, the It was – so a couple of things were clear. Bush had only won because of Hicks mm -hmm. and God's guns and gays. That was it. That was the only reason Bush won. There was slight reproof for John Kerry, a, mm -hmm. a, a, a wisp – it, like it, uh, like someone had tooted in church, there was a, a wisp of malodor around John <laughs> Kerry, a soupçon uh, of criticism. Exactly, but but the real focus was 
now moderates will reign in the Democratic Party because – and Thomas Frank wrote his uh, his cruel, unkind book, uh, What's the Matter with Kansas? Mm-hmm. Don't you hicks know that we're trying right. to help you? Um, but the consensus among Democrats was it's got to be like Hillary Clinton or it's got to be maybe Mark Warner. It's got to be a moderate who can speak to hicks and hickeys right. so that they will understand them so that we can – it's time for us to trick the rubes too, said Democrats. No one said, I have a great idea. Freshman senator from Illinois, middle name Hussein. That's the jam. That's what we need to do. Most liberal, he will be the most liberal senator. And uh, he's we're gonna he's going to run against John McCain and win a, a, a decisive victory against him. If you would have written that column the week after the 2004 election, it would have been rightly derided. Sure. No one would have said after 2012, the answer is the celebrity apprentice right. and a hard, the hardest line possible on immigration. People don't know. They just don't know. So the thing to do in – you know, I'm like the weatherman. I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. I'm just telling – as I say, like I'm rooting for the trailer park, but I, I'm, I am going to tell you where the hurricane is going. Right. I'm just telling you what's going on. But anybody who thinks that you can extrapolate these things out over a longer period of time is, is, is deluding themselves. As a consequence for Republicans, trying to true this all up, right, mm-hmm. and have some coherent, like, well, it all just hangs together, and this is the the new philosophy of the Republican Party. Nice try, yeah, nice try. Well, don't tell that to Marco Rubio because <laughs> <laughs> it's been a very hard. It's been very hard. I feel I feel worse for him than almost any of the Republicans because it's been so, and you can see the the agony on his face. It's been yeah. really hard for him. Yeah, and. There is this – It's there's Rubio, who I have some sympathy with, for too, but there's a certain kind of young Republican senator mostly, you know, but young Republican politician and there's Democrat ones too, but who are so desperate to find out what's on the next page yeah, and yeah, get yeah. there ahead of it, you know. And so like this week he gave this, you know, we need Catholic-infused capitalism speech. He did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I haven't read it yet. But. So, so somewhere, uh, George Washington and his fellow Masons are like, what? Yeah, no, what? exactly. What? <laughs> <laughs> Let's dust off those Blaine amendments. Um, uh, and But there's this, you know, this huge – and that's one of the things I think that freaks people out so much about – so many Republicans about Trump is that they want to impose this ideological or intellectual coherency to it yeah. so they can make plans into the future when he doesn't – Lend himself. To well, that. I just uh, watching Hawley from Missouri. He is the he is the archetype, right, uh, of this too slick by half on all this stuff. Watching these Republicans go out with uh, their uh, sabers unsheathed yeah. at big tech companies. Uh, all of this economic the, – the economic populism that suddenly is coursing through this, this part of the Republican Party. Guess what? You know what's always popular? Soaking the rich and beating up on big companies. Right. This is not new. Donald Trump did not like, hold on a second, wait a minute. Right. You mean that if I soak the rich and attack the big – if I guarantee that Social Security will always just increase no matter what – all of these things? Yeah, of course they're popular. Right. What conservatives have to remember – and it's really hard for them. Conservative ideas aren't really that popular. Yeah. The reason we have a Bill of Rights, in fact, is that they were like, we better write down 
that some of these things are so unpleasant to actually have. We say we like free speech. We don't really. Right. We don't really like. We say we like free expression of religion. Actually makes it harder to govern the country. Mm -hmm. Um, These are the things that are important even though they're not popular. And conservatives have to continue to – and liberals do too. There are a lot of things on the left that aren't popular that are important to them, right? Racial inclusivity is not really popular. Mm -hmm. But Democrats say that this is a virtue of liberalism that they want to pursue. You can't – you have to pick your battles and you have to choose your opinions. But watching guys like Hawley um, go out there – it's it, he. They're they're trying too hard. Yeah. Wait and see what happens. I mean, particularly for the what's Stanford and Yale PhD yeah. Supreme Court clerk to all of a sudden who lived most of his life outside of the state. Now he's the homespun champion of rural values. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a lift. Um. All right. So we're we're we're, we're moving at blazing speed, and I think we have strangers coming soon. So I do want to. There, the, there'll be none stranger than us, sir. <laughs> I want to get to the impeachment stuff really quickly. As you know, some of our friends and colleagues at Fox News have very strong opinions on this matter. Mm-hmm. I do not envy you the various centrifugal forces that you have to put up with. I I will just say I have no, I delightfully have no centrifugal or centripetal forces because um, when things get weird as they are right now, being in the news division is yeah. like it's like being able to go into the the sealed uh, panic room and we can just close the door and be in the the higher the stakes. Uh, the more sacri- more sacrosanctity there is around the news division. Yeah, no, it's, it's, this sort of points to the thing I was trying to get at before, which is that my job was when a kid asked me about how I have to pick a side and whatever. My job is to tell the truth as I see it. Yep. Right. And because telling the truth is it's always its own defense. That's right. And sort of like you're the weatherman, you got to right. tell the truth, whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's it's funny the amount of anger at say to pick a a metaphorical you know analog to this. The Fox News poll. Yeah. Which is not great for Trump. No. Right? The the logic you hear, the sort of the the the, the implicit whine that you find from people complaining about the Fox News poll is that somehow the Fox News poll should change its methodology or change what it's doing to be better for Trump. And that's not how this works, right? <laughs> you know? I, I, I think it was I think it was Ezra Pound who said that the penalty for the liar isn't that no one believes him. I'm butchering this, but that he can't believe anyone else. Mm-hmm. So if you think that all the polls are rigged, right? why wouldn't you be rigging your poll in our favor? I don't understand, right? right? If right. all of the polls are rigged, if, if, the, if the news is fake and the, everything is just all opinion passing itself off as fact, if that's true, then why aren't you doing it for me? Right. And I would imagine that when the president look, – look. We should remember, politicians always complain about the polls, right? I get when I'm asked questions like, oh, how do you feel under pressure from the president is attacking your poll? At five, I'm like, they always attack our poll. Right. Now, Trump does it with a kind of uh, – He implies disloyalty. Well, he does, but that's his problem. The, but he, but he does it with a special verve for vituperation. He is a, he is a real swashbuckler uh, when it comes to that stuff. But you know what? It's the same stuff that we deal with all the time. Yeah. Politician, when when polls do not comport with a politician's wish casting, they are unhappy, and that's okay. And I feel for them. And what do they always say? You've heard it a million times. The only poll that matters is the one that's on election day. Yeah. yeah. And we say, okay, fine, fine. The uh, our poll, we we got a lot of heat 
because our poll was the first, just of, because of timing, our poll was the first to show a majority uh, in support of impeachment and removal. And people said, whoa, this is wild. And I'm, I'm, I'm insulted is the wrong word, but I am, I am amused when I hear other people, even the Fox News poll. Yeah. Even even the Fox News poll. Yeah. Yeah. Even the Fox News. I mean, News. among pollsters, it's one of the top tier polls. I mean, every, is, everyone respects the Fox News poll. It is, Who knows anything about polling? It is pre, it is primo stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of primo stuff, we should say something quickly about our second sponsor, who is the Online Trading Academy. Um, why does Wall Street seem to win so consistently? How can I do more than just buy and hold stocks? Well, on the uh, Online Trading Academy has some answers for you, or at least it teaches you to how to write, how to ask the right questions. The Online Trading Academy wants you to start knowing now. As a leader in investing and trading education, Online Trading Academy teaches people just like you a step-by-step process designed to help you make the right moves in the financial markets. You'll discover common investor mistakes, learn about risk management skills, and how to develop a personal income and wealth education plan. It's simple to get started. OTA's flexible learning style lets you take classes at one of their more than 40 financial education centers or in an online classroom from the comfort and convenience of your home. Students have been have given Online Trading Academy a 94% satisfaction rating based on more than 190,000 reviews. No one will ever care about your financial future as much as you do. So now is the time to start learning how education could help you take better control of your financial future from now on. A strong economy is the best time to prepare for a bad one. What would you do if you knew skills designed to help you generate income and build confidence towards your retirement goals? Get started by joining the more than 500,000 people who have attended one of OTA's free classes. So, Check out Online Trading Academy. Uh, they uh, uh, have a really great deal right now. You can sign up for a three-hour introductory class at otatrade.com slash dingo. That's otatrade.com slash dingo. You get a free class in your area. Register at otatrade.com slash dingo. You'll even receive their professional insider's kit just for attending. That's otatrade.com slash Dingo, begin taking control of your financial future today with no obligation. All right, so I'm not going to get deep into the weeds of the um, you know, the Ukraine stuff and all of that. We've talked about that a lot on here. I am fascinated, however, by the chum in the water for the whistleblower. Yeah. Right. And my theory, you tell me if you see it differently, is they are – the Democrats are you – know, so the, the White House is deeply frustrated by the fact that they can't turn this into a war of personalities. Right. Right? And so in, in a weird way, uh, for listeners who know anything about my early years, I was up to my knees in the Clinton impeachment stuff. They want the whistleblower to be a Linda Tripp that they can de- demonize. Right. Right. And the response from other people is that, well, what first of all, what Linda Tripp revealed when she was a whistleblower was true. Was true, and so whatever you think about her as a person doesn't matter anymore. What the whistleblower put in in his complaint, and I think we can say it's a him, 
has pretty much all been corroborated by other testimony. Trump said it. He said it. He went in front of the cameras. The The, the administration's response to this has been uh, – well, let me uh, – I'll put it this way. Turns out Mick Mulvaney was right. Yeah. No Turns fact. out that Mick Mulvaney derided uh, and and abused for his terrible press conference in which he said, yeah, quid pro quo, so what? Deal with it, right? Uh, elections have consequences and this is what this this is what's going down now. Turns out he was right because that is the, the in a way the correct approach for this administration to say it happened uh, and you know what? Th- there it is. Yeah. Now, there needs to be one additional political setting for Republicans, which is the allowance for Republicans in Congress, especially in the Senate, to say, well, I disagree right. with the president's decision to pressure the president of Ukraine and make him believe that military aid to fight the Russian invasion on his border was conditioned on providing dirt on Hunter Biden. Right. He shouldn't do that. And we shouldn't set a precedent where uh, presidents can do that. Uh, I don't believe that it rises to the level of removing him from office. That's why I am voting no. And they need that. But Mick Mulvaney was right. At the beginning, the president comes out. He's doing chopper talk. He's walking out and he says, yeah, I did it for Biden because it's corruption. And by the way, China, I want you to do it too. If you've got any dirt on Joe Biden, why don't you send it over too? The, the, what makes this a bizarro world impeachment? Nixon didn't know that the uh, Watergate offices had been burgled when they were being burgled, but got himself into trouble covering up what came after, right, and trying to secret it uh, and take care of the boys in the creep. For Clinton, uh, Clinton and Trump have much more in common, which is it's true. The accusation is true. And the question is, do you believe that this merits his removal from office? And the sooner that Republicans get to where the Democrats were in 98 and say, "Okay, yeah, it happened. It's true. It's not going to happen again. And I vote no. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And so but the the thing that frustrates me so much is the gaslighting component to this Mm -hmm. where some of our friends are smuggling in these, you know, Sixth Amendment arguments and that Trump has the right to confront his accuser, um, which is the whistleblower. And it's it's sort of a microcosm version of the, the whole story, which is that. Trump tried to, you know, say, look, the real issue here is what Biden did. Right. Right. Not what anything I did. It's all what Biden did. That was terrible. That's what you should focus on. They're trying to do that with a whistleblower, too. You know, maybe they're going to get deeper in the weeds with this is, you know, all part of the deep state, you know, nonsense. I don't say that all the deep state stuff is nonsense, although a lot of it is. But my point is, is that the real story here is the conspiracy theory of how the whistleblower filed his report. And. Maybe there was a conspiracy. Maybe Adam Schiff. I have no love for Adam Schiff. Maybe Adam Schiff did terrible things to get this whistleblower report out there. But at the end of the day, the allegation is now true. We know it. And so trying to sort of demonize the whistleblower and say that if you could just prove that they're, you know, one of the the Pod Save America guys working undercover in the White House, (laughs) that somehow all of a sudden that's going to solve everything – it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't change what Trump did, what his... They would have already did. taken credit. If it was one of the pods, yeah, I'm sure. guys would have already... They'd be selling merch. Yeah. I think uh, two things quickly. One, um, they, are, they are running the same plays that they did on Mueller. And the key with Mueller is you need a Comey, you need a Clapper, you need villains to say that they're trying to... Because remember the emphasis here, this is a coup. 
Right. This is a coup. They're trying to undo your wishes. They're trying to take the. They're trying to steal the presidency, uh, and these are the men who did it to you. Trying to steal the presidency and make Mike Pence president. And make exactly their <laughs> diabolical plan to have Mike Pence be president. Um, so you need the villains. You need a cast of characters, and they're trying with Schiff, and Schiff obliges them yeah. by yeah. being pretty oleaginous. Yeah. But they're they're trying with Schiff, so they they're looking for that first part. But the other thing, and I've used it with you before, so forgive me, but it's so true. You know what you do with your political base. You treat them like mushrooms. You keep them in the dark and you cover them with horse manure. <laughs> and so the important thing for – so Trump's base is about 30 percent of the electorate. These people are – they don't have a transactional relationship with Donald Trump. They believe in Donald Trump. Right. Right. They believe – they don't see him as a means to an end. They believe in Donald Trump. They love the guy. Keeping those people engaged and happy through a period of time that is necessarily trying and disappointing for uh, the other – 20 percent of his of, of of his voters of potential voters is a necessary part of fan service mm-hmm. so you have surrogates out there putting the manure on top of the mushrooms constantly yeah. and the preferred brand of manure is your president is under siege from the deep state they're coming to take him away that it, it, it's much broader and much deeper than you have ever experienced and my god we just all have to be at the barricades constantly rather than the more sanguine approach which is eh you know what they're never they'll never get 19 uh senators in the uh republican senators to vote to remove him from office this is a fool's errand that democrats are on it's not going to happen we're going to move on.org to more important issues for the country right and Don Jr. can go on TV and say how he wished his name was Hunter Biden so he could go out and make a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> instead, of, instead of, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> All right. Uh, unfortunately, we have people clamoring at the gates. Uh, I could do this for a while. Um, but Chris Starwalt, thank you so much for doing this. My privilege. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountain, Shenandoah River. Life is old there, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze, country roads, take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia. Recording? Mm-hmm.